0: Welcome to the Envisioning BYU podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU addresses that highlight the university's institutional vision. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. Spencer W. Kimball was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when he delivered this preschool address to faculty and staff titled Education for Eternity at Brigham Young University on September 12, 1967.
1: My beloved brothers and sisters, what a challenge and what a delightful experience to be with you here tonight. I am constantly impressed with the beautiful campus. I am awed with the power of the administration and faculty, and as I see the thousands of students I want to sing, Behold a Royal Army. In all the world, the Brigham Young University is the greatest institution of learning. This statement I have made numerous times. I believe it sincerely. There are many criteria by which a university can be judged and appraised and evaluated. The special qualities of Brigham Young University lie not in its bigness. There are a number of larger institutions. It should not be judged by its affluence and the amount of money available for buildings, research, and other facilities. It should not be judged by the prestige for there are more statusful institutions as the world measures status. The uniqueness of Brigham Young University lies in its special role. Education for eternity, which it must carry in addition to the usual tasks of a university. This means concern curricular and behavioral for not only the whole man, but for the eternal man. Where all universities seek to preserve the heritage of knowledge that history has washed to their feet, this faculty has a double heritage, the preserving of the knowledge of men and the revealed truths sent from heaven. While all universities seek to push back the frontiers of knowledge, this faculty must do that and also keep new knowledge in perspective, so that the avalanche of facts does not carry away saving, exalting truths from the value systems of our youth. In addition, this faculty must aid the youth of the kingdom in establishing yet an educational expectation another, that there are yet many great and important things to be revealed, which require an intellectual and spiritual posture of readiness and openness. Where other institutions of higher education aim in part at educating and training students for various careers, this faculty must do that vital job and do it superbly well, but it must do far more. It must train a cadre of committed, educated youth who can serve effectively, not only in the world of work, in the growing kingdom of God in which skilled leadership is such a vital commodity. This time of intellectual testing must also be a time of equivalent testing and flexing in things spiritual, too. The Spirit giveth life is so true in so many ways. When there is an inner emptiness in the life of man, his surroundings, however affluent, cannot compensate. When there's a crisis of purpose, nothing will readily, will really seem worthwhile or meaningful. When man's relationship with God has been breached, we will be, as Isaiah said, restless as the sea which cannot rest. A university or an individual can have all the surface signs of security and yet still be empty inside. You must fill the classrooms and halls of this campus with facts, but fill them also with the spirit of the master teacher who said to the Nephites of the things he had done, Even so shall ye do unto the world. Education for eternity is not the kind of a phrase one would expect to have carved in the stone of a new secular university. It is not the kind of commitment that would be widely shared in the retreat from real religion we see around us in this world. Yet it is a task for which we do not apologize. <clears throat> Those who do not share this purpose, however, will respect this faculty for its genuine achievements in the world of secular scholarship. The extra missions noted previously do not excuse you from reasonable achievement in your chosen field. You can, in fact, often be more effective in the service you render students if students see you as individuals who have blended successfully things secular and things spiritual in a way that has brought to you earned respect in both realms. As I see you leaders here, knowing you personally and recognizing the depth of your knowledge your outstanding accomplishments in your chosen fields. I honor you and appreciate you. And then to realize also that in the breast of every one of you there is a deep spiritual feeling with the Master. We know that there are good men and women uh, elsewhere, but here, here we have the choice group. When measured with the true measuring rod, the Brigham Young University stands preeminent Certainly the true measure of an institution of learning would be the impact it makes on the total lives of its students. On high levels in business, industry, professional, and other fields, great men and women of prominence in many areas are BYU alumni. Orson S. Mardens wrote, It is a sad sight to see thousands of students graduated every year." From our grand institutions whose object is to make stalwart, independent, self-supporting men turned out into the world saplings instead of stalwart oaks, memory glands instead of brainy men, helpless instead of self-supporting, sickly instead of robust, weak instead of strong, leaning instead of erect, so many promising youth and never a finished man." (coughs) You tell me that these nearly 7,000 returned missionaries render a stabilizing influence with their deep religious convictions and their serious application. You tell me that many of the 20,000 actually hold positions of leadership in the Church organizations and that nearly all of them attend sacrament meetings and that the large majority who have incomes also pay their tithing and that these students voluntarily assemble weekly to hear religious messages from the leaders of the Church. Many young people find their lives changing on this campus. They receive their inspiration here to fulfill honorable missions, to work toward righteous eternal marriage, and they contribute of their own spirituality to the campus. How the world needs a light in the dark—a haven of refuge a vault for keeping of the jewels and treasures of life, a big wastebasket into which could be dumped the trash and filth and destructive ideologies and eccentric activities. While great numbers of universities and colleges seem to have abandoned all attempts to influence the moral lives of their students, this university must hold the line. Apparently such an attitude seems to be growing on the campuses of our nation. And what can we expect of the graduates tomorrow? There are holes in the fabric of our political system. Our social world continues to show corruption. A climate is coming into being which seems to not only permit crimes against society, but actually to encourage them indirectly. Do we have a sick society? The U.S. News and World Report asks in a recent issue. In the current issue of The Instructor, President David O. McKay gives us a thought. Never before have the forces of evil been arrayed in such deadly formation as they are now. Satan and his forces are attacking the high ideals and sacred standards which protect our spirituality. One cannot help but be alarmed by the ever-increasing crime wave. In our sick society, children are not required to work. Time hangs heavily on their hands. Their crimes run into theft and beatings and even murder. Hate Icebury in San Francisco, DuPont Circle in Washington, D.C., East Village in New York City may be the net results of some of the laxities and the looseness in morals with increases in illegitimacy. And Numerous evils of our times may look to the deteriorating ethical standards proposed often by professors in what are termed great universities. God's ways and eternal standards are laughed at, and situation ethics, making each person his own moral judge and authority, all seem to be responsible for the sickness of our society. How can it survive? When these numerous other things are considered, we come to realize our responsibility at BYU We must carry the torch and light the way, and this faculty and staff must stand like a concrete wall to prevent these strange, worldly ideologies and concepts from invading this, one of the last bastions of resisting strength. Our Brigham Young insisted, Learn everything that the children of men know and be prepared for the most refined society upon the face of the earth. Then improve on this until we are prepared and permitted to enter the society of the blessed, the holy angels that dwell in the presence of God. Accordingly, the Brigham Young University must lead its faculty and its students to obtain knowledge in all fields and in depth. We want every branch of science, Brigham Young says, taught in this place that is taught in the world. The Lord seems never to have placed a premium on ignorance, and yet he has in many cases found it better. He has better trained people unresponsive to the spiritual and has had to use spiritual giants with less training to carry on his work. Peter was said to be ignorant and unlearned, while Nicodemus was, as the Savior said, a master, a trained one, an educated man. And while Nicodemus would, in his aging process, gradually lose his prestige, his strength, and go to the grave a man of letters without eternal knowledge, Peter would go to the reputed crucifixion, the greatest man in all the world, perhaps still lacking considerably in secular knowledge, which he would later acquire, but being preeminent in the greater, more important knowledge of the eternities and God and his creations and their destinies. Paul gave us the key. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. It's interesting to note that most of us have a tendency to want to ape the ways of our neighbors. If New York or Paris speaks, the dresses are lengthened or shortened, if San Francisco's hate iceberg speaks, men's hair grow longer, beards appear, and baths are lef- less frequent. If the Joneses have a Cadillac, all want Cadillacs. If a nation has a king, all want a king. We seem reluctant to establish our own standards, make our own styles, follow our own patterns which are based on dignity, comfort, and propriety. Israel did want a king. Now make us a king, they cried to Samuel, to judge us like all the other nations. And when Samuel prayed, the Lord said, They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And then with the inspiration of the Lord, Samuel pointed out to them the hazards of having a king. He would recruit their sons in battle. Their daughters would serve in confectionaries and kitchens and bakeries. Their sons would have to ear his ground and reap his harvest and make his spears and swords and rebuild his chariots and train his horses. He would appropriate their vineyards and olive yards to feed his servants, and he would tax them heavily. In spite of all these dire predictions, the people still said, Nay, but we still will have a king to reign over us like other nations. Though our world reels and trembles, we must stand firm and see that behavior troubles do not invade our campus like other campuses, and that we are not like other universities. The Lord inspired Nephi to correlate the secular and the spiritual when he said, To be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. Someone has said the world if the world needs a bomb to destroy the cities and its peoples and the world, the laboratory of the American university can supply it. And then we say, If the world needs messengers of peace and teachers of righteousness and builders of character and inspirers of faith in God, here is the university that can do all this here at Brigham Young University. Even here we sometimes give the first to the first cause— our lesser attention, and though we are far in front of other institutions, still we give less time, less thought, and less effort in the actual teaching of the spiritual as contrasted with the secular. But perhaps this imbalance of time and energy and effort is considerably compensated for. If all of you instructors in all classes teach the gospel—especially by example—most of you teach eloquently in this manner. You will be frequent attenders at the temple, will serve in the church organizations. All of you will be living all of the commandments, paying a full tithing, observing the word of wisdom, not because it is expected, but because it is right. If your home in your homes will be an absence of friction and conflict, not because 40,000 eyes are upon you, but because you love the Lord, your family, and the program. You will observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Your home evenings will be regular and inspirational, and your family prayers, both morning and night, will be constant, not because you're under commandment, but because you love your family and our BYU family of 20,000 who will feel the spirituality emanating from you. You will always keep solvent, be honest to the nth degree, and full of integrity. Your example is better than even your precept, for to teach one thing and to do another is like sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. This university is not a place for mercenaries. The Revolutionary War was lost to the British partly because they employed mercenaries to fight for them while the winning colonists had a cause. If your salary, which we hope is adequate, should be incidental in your grand and magnificent obsession, would be the youth and their growth and their vision, their development. I would hope that each of you, in joy and peace and satisfaction, would continue here to lift the souls and carry forward the character building program. <coughs> I hope you will each qualify for the students' admiration and affection. It is my hope that these youth. We'll have abundant lives, beautiful family patterns after the ideal of an eternal family with you, their example. This would lead me to expect you, expect from you honor, integrity, cleanliness, and faith, a great faith. I would expect you to appear before your young people, well dressed, well groomed, and positive, happy people from homes where peace and love have left their warm, vibrant influence as your day with them begins. I would want them to have the feeling that you, their instructor, had come from a loving home where peace reigns and love is enthroned, and to know instinctively by your spirit that you were that very morning on your knees with your family and that there were soft words of pleading to your Heavenly Father for guidance, not only for your little family kneeling with you, but for your larger family also at that moment scurrying about their apartments to get ready for your classes. Brigham Young said that our teachers ask the Father in the name of Jesus to bestow upon them and upon their scholars the spirit of wisdom and intelligence from heaven. I would like these youth to see their instructors in community life as dignified, happy cooperators, and in church life as devout, dependable, efficient leaders, in personal life, honorable, personable, full of integrity. And as John Taylor, the president, said, let us live so that angels can minister to us and the Holy Ghost Dwell with us. Here there should be loyalty at its ultimate best. Loyalty is the stuff of which great souls are made. I would expect that no member of faculty or staff would continue in the employ of this institution if he or she did not have deep assurance of the divinity of the gospel of Christ, the truth of the church, the correctness of the doctrines, and the destiny of the school. The BYU is dedicated to the building of character and faith for characters higher than intellect, and its teachers must in all propriety so dedicate themselves. That goal is the same as that of our Eternal Father, to bring to pass the eternal life of man. Every instructor knows before coming to this campus what the aims are and is committed to the furthering of those objectives. If one cannot conscientiously accept the policies and program of the institution, there is no wrong in his moving to an environment that is compatible and friendly to his concepts. But for a Ford employee to downgrade his company and its products, for a general electric man to be unappreciative of his company, for an employee of a bank to discredit that institution would be hypocrisy and disloyalty. There are ways to right wrongs, to improve services, to bring about proper changes, but to set about to counter the established policies or the approved interpretations of doctrines of the Church would be disloyal and unbecoming of anyone. No one could justifiably accept salary or favors from an institution, the policies of which he could not in principle accept and defend. May I quote President Clark, Science and worldly knowledge must question every demonstration, every experiment, every conclusion, every phenomenon that seems a fact, for only by this method may the truths of the natural law become known to us, save by specific revelations. But we shall also expect you to know that in matters pertaining to our spiritual lives, God's revealed will His laws, his commandments, declared not only by himself, but by and through his servants, must be taken unquestioned, because they are ultimate truths that shape and control our destinies. Then he goes on, Now, brothers and sisters, it is your privilege to teach the revealed word of God. You are not expected to advance new theories, give private interpretations, nor to clarify the mysteries— You do not need to, nor can you, nor can anyone else, answer all the questions that the youth can ask. You need not be embarrassed to tell them that you cannot fully answer certain questions and that the Lord has not seen fit to reveal all his mysteries yet. Perhaps many would like to know the age of the earth, the exact method of the organization, the method of spirit procreation, and on and on and on, unquote. The doctrines of the Church will be revealed through the prophet, and he will interpret them as is needed. To one such member who presumed to dictate to the prophet concerning a matter which had been settled long years, I wrote, I cannot believe you would presume to command your God or to make demands on the prophet of God. No situation could possibly justify you in any such monumental presumption. I must quote the Lord to you, quote, and thou shalt not command him who is at thy head and at the head of the Church. When the Lord has set a policy and his leaders have established it, certainly it would be in bad taste and improper for people to keep sniping at it. I know a man who received a bank salary, yet secretly robbed the bank of its money. I knew a woman who supported by, was supported by a business but she constantly revealed its inner weaknesses to her associates. I knew a man who belonged to the Church and enjoyed its blessings, but secretly was constantly downgrading it. This institution and its leaders should be like the Twelve, as left in a very difficult world by the Savior. They must be in the world, but not of the world. I liked your president's statement If most institutions of higher learning aspire to be only communities of scholars, we are privileged to be also a congregation of disciples. Our roots spring from Palmyra rather than Cambridge. He said further, We are men of God first, and men of letters second, and men of science third, and noted men fourth, men of rectitude rather than academic competence. Our academic training must be as impeccable as our lives a defection that would pass unnoticed elsewhere as exploited relentlessly when it occurs at BYU. There are relative truths and there are absolute truths. The gospel is absolute. Its basic functions and teachings do not change. President Clark again wrote, The philosopher, in his worldly way, may speak of relative truth in the field of ethics, in the world and in knowledge, A concept that today and here may be the truth, but that tomorrow and there may be an error. A truth based upon man's development, his learnings, his ethics, his concepts, his hopes, his aspirations, his God. As our knowledge is widened, we, to Job's incomprehensibles, have added almost a universe of unknown physical phenomena. But we have at our hands unchanging, ultimate truths which God has vouchsafed to us for our guidance, salvation, and exaltation. They are shields against temptation and our redemption from sin. They give us the light for our feet. They guide us on our way. Whereas in some institutions, faculties, and students seek to set policies for the university, BYU is different entirely. It is financed, operated, and sustained by the tithes of the people, poor and rich. It is governed by the board of trustees, who are general authorities of the Church. The prophet, seer, and revelator is the interpreter of the doctrines. It must be ever thus. It would not be expected that all of the faculty should be categorically teaching religion constantly in their classes. But it is proper that every professor and teacher in this institution would keep his subject matter bathed in the light of the restored gospel and warmed and colored with its spirit. Every instructor should grasp the opportunity occasionally to bear formal testimony of its truth. Every student is entitled to know the attitude and feeling and spirit of his every teacher. Certainly even a science instructor or a physical ed teacher or a math or art teacher could find an opportunity sometimes to mention spiritual experiences or comment on gospel truths. This would be in harmony with the spirit of Brigham Young's charge to call Carl G. Mazur, so often quoted, not to teach even the alphabet or the multiplication tables without the Spirit of God. This statement has been used over and over and over, but we must never forget it. If we begin to ape the world and forget this injunction, we too are lost. We pay our taxes. We support state schools. Therefore, there is no justification, whatever, for our spending these millions of dollars on this institution unless we mind the purposeful objective given by the prophet. Joel said, Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now that we have reached maximum in enrollment, all the energy formerly given to growth and expansion can now be concentrated on making our dreams come true. With this revolving 20,000 last dispensation students from all over the world, can we not build dream castles now in the air? and build solidly under them to develop students, faculty, campus, and university, which would eclipse all others within the limitations of our courses. In our world, there have risen brilliant stars in drama, music, literature, sculpture, painting, science, and all the graces. For long years, I have had a vision of the BYU greatly increasing its already strong position of excellence till the eyes of all the world will be upon us. President John Taylor so prophesied as he emphasized his prophecy with this directive. You mark my words, he said, and write them down and see if they do not come to pass. You will see the day that Zion will be far ahead of the outside world in everything pertaining to learning of every kind as we are today in regard to religious matters. God expects Zion— to become the praise and the glory of the whole earth so that kings, hearing of her fame, will come and gaze upon her glory. With regard to masters, surely there must be many Wagner's in the BYU approaching it or yet to come in the tomorrows, young people with the love of art, talent supreme, and eagerness to create. I hope we at BYU may produce men greater than Wagner, but less eccentric and more spiritual. Who of us has not sat spellbound with Aida, Il Trovatore, or other of the masterpieces of Verdi? Can there never be another Verdi or his superiors? Is there anyone here who has not been stirred by the rich, melodic tenor voice of Enrico Caruso? Considered to be the greatest voice of this of his century by many, would someone say that they produced singers in Italy and Germany and Poland and Sweden, and that they produced them there only? Remember, we draw our students from all these and other places. And then there was Patty, who was scintillating in her, in her accomplishments and her greatness. Then we remember the celebrated Jenny Lind. The Swedish singer with such tune faculty, such musical memory, such supremacy, and with much unprecedented triumphs, do you think there are no more voices like Jenny Lin's? Our day, our time, our people, our generation, our BYU should produce such as we as we catch the total vision of our potential and dream dreams and see visions of the future. Brigham Young said again, Every accomplishment, every polished grace, every useful attainment in mathematics, music, and in all sciences and art belonged to the saints. Many of us can still remember the enchanting Madame Schumann who was by many regarded as the, regarded as the great, the greatest contralto of her time. She lost two sons in the war, one on the German side and one on the American side. Many times I've been here entranced with the sweet and lovely voices of the students. I believe that deep in the throats of these BYU students of today and tomorrow are qualities superior, which superbly trained can equal or surpass these known great singers. There was also Melba, who captivated her audiences as she sang. BYU certainly must continue to be the greatest university, unique and different. There should be an ever-widening gap between this school and all others. The reason is obvious. Our professors and our instructors should be peers or superiors to those at any other school in natural ability, plus the Holy Spirit. With hundreds of men of God and their associates so blessed and trained, We have the base here for an increasingly efficient and worthy school. It has long had a strong music department, but we have hardly begun the great work that could be done here. I envision that day when the BYU Symphony will surpass in popularity and performance the Philadelphia Orchestra, the New York Philharmonic Group, or the Cleveland Symphony. One great artist was asked which of all his productions was the greatest— And his prompt answer was, the next. If we strive for perfection and are never satisfied with mediocrity, we can excel. In the field of both composition and performance, why cannot the students from here write a greater oratorio than Handel's Messiah? They can use the coming of Christ to the Nephites as the material for the greater masterpiece. They may write and sing of Christ's spectacular return to American youth. The American Earth in power and great glory, and His establishment of the Kingdom of God on the Earth in our own dispensation. No handler or other composer of the past, or present, or future could ever do justice to this event. How could one ever portray in words and music the glories of the coming of the Father and the Son? and the restoration of the doctrines and the priesthood and the keys unless he was an inspired Latter-day Saint, schooled in the history and doctrines and revelations and with rich musical ability and training. Why cannot the BYU bring forth this producer? George Bernard Shaw, the Irish dramatist and critic, summed up an approach to life in these words. Other peoples, he said, see things and ask why? But I dream things that never were, and I say, why not? We need here to dream of things that never were, and I ask, why not? Dom J. gave us this. Blessed is the man with new worlds to conquer. For him the future beams with promise. He never attains ultimate success, is never satisfied, is ever on the way to better things. Ahead of him there is always another dream castle glittering in the sun, and what fun it is to build foundations under it. Freed largely from expansion and growing pains, we can now pour many firm foundations under our dreams for the future. And shall we not here at BYU present before the musical world a violinist greater than Pagnini or a pianist to excel in depth of expression, sublimity of noble feeling, the noted Hungarian pianist and composer list. We've already produced some talented artists at the piano, but I have a secret hope to hear and see at this piano a greater than Paderewski, the Polish statesman, composer and pianist. Surely all the Paderewski's were not were not born in Poland in the last century. All talented people with such outstanding recreative originality with such nervous power and such romantic appearance were not concentrated in this one body, in these two hands. Certainly this noted pianist was not the last of such to be born. The Italian painter and sculptor da Vinci with his masterful technique made his portraits, figures, and designs true to life. His Mona Lisa is celebrated. On our last visit to Copenhagen, we were excited and inspired as we drank in the beauty of Travalson's Christ and the Twelve Apostles. We wondered if at any time there could ever be a greater masterpiece and a greater master, and yet time and the BYU may surprise the world. Can you see statues over this campus, statues of the Lord, his disciples, the martyrs, the prophets of the centuries? Michelangelo's 3,500 square feet of painting in the Sistine Chapel said to be the most important piece of mural painting in the world. And he said, I am a poor Man and of little merit, who plods along in the art which God gave me, I am more exhausted than ever man was. And when we see Michelangelo's masterpiece of art, we feel as did Habakkuk. He said, Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. But then we ask, Can there never be another Michelangelo? Ah, yes, his David in Florence and his Moses in Rome, they inspired of Adulation. But did all such talent run out in that century? Could not we find an embodied talent like this, but with a soul that was free from immorality and sensuality and intolerance? Could there be among us embryo poets, poets and novelists like Gertie? Have we explored fully Of the creator of Faust, Emerson said, The old eternal genius that built the world had confided confided itself more to this man than to any other, but Gertie was not the greatest nor the last. There may be many Gerties among us, even today, waiting to be discovered. Inspired students will write great books and novels and biographies and plays. Can we not find talent, equal talent, to those who gave us man for all seasons, Dr. Zhivago and her? This latter book I read when a small boy, and many times I have returned to it. Critics might not agree with me, but I feel that it's a great story. My fair lady and the sound of music and such have pleased their millions, but I believe we can improve on them. It is said that many of the great artists were perverts or moral degenerates. In spite of their immorality, they became celebrated artists. What could be the result if discovery were made of equal talent in men who were clean and free from the vices and thus entitled to revelations? There are few paintings about which so much has ever been written as Rembrandt's The Night Watch or his self-portraits. His morals also, though— were somewhat subject to criticism then we have scientists who can help harness the limitless powers and turn them to good for all humanity there've been pasteur and curie <clears throat> and the harvey fletchers and the henry irings and the albert einsteins there will be greater yet and then shaw keeps asking why not why not then there's shakespeare everybody quotes shakespeare Has anyone ever been so versatile, so talented, so remarkable in his art? And yet, could the world produce only one Shakespeare? The Lamanite Nephite culture means much to the people of the Church, and properly so. Here at BYU, should we not have the greatest collection of artifacts, records, writings concerning them in all the world, through revelation we have received much, concerning these people, should not BYU then be preeminent in this field of culture? Perhaps growing up in the backwoods forests in Indiana or Illinois, there may today be some little deprived boy doing his elementary math on a wood fire shovel or borrowing books from neighbors and splitting rails, who will find his way tomorrow to the BYU and here to get the background, knowledge, and inspiration, which will send him skyrocketing, skyrocketing to fame and honors, perhaps even to the White House, and a man to be ever after heralded for his wisdom, conscience, humanity, leadership, and to be quoted till eternity. His name might be Abraham, his mother's name might be Nancy, and could this be written concerning him? as was written of his 19th-century counterpart at his birth. Oh, well, send the woman, the women, send them there to Nance, poor little young'un born without a chance. The little apes could have their chances, and their notoriety could spring from humble but influential BYU. Oh, how our world needs statesmen, We ask again, with Shah, why not? Why not the BYU? We have the raw material, we have the facilities, we can excel in training, we have the spiritual climate. We must train statesmen, not demagogues, men of integrity, not not weaklings who for a mess of pottage will sell their birthright. We must develop men who will be trained so thoroughly in the arts of their future work and in the basic honesties and integrities and spiritual concepts that there will be no compromise of principle. For long years I've long been waiting for someone to do justice in recording in song and story and painting and sculpture the story of the restoration, the reestablishment of the kingdom, kingdom of God on the earth, the struggles and frustrations, the apostasies and inner revolutions, the exodus of the transitions, of the persecution days, of plural marriage and the underground, of the miracle man, Joseph Smith, of whom we sing, Oh what rapture filled his bosom, for he saw the living God, and of the colonizer and builder giant, Brigham Young, by whom this university was organized and for whom it was named. The story of Mormonism has never yet been written, nor painted, nor sculptured, nor spoken. It remains for inspired hearts and talented fingers yet to reveal themselves. They must be faithful, inspired, active Church members to give life and feeling and true perspective to a subject so worthy. Such masterpieces should run for months in every movie theater, cover every part of the globe, In the tongue of the people, written by great artists, purified by great critics. Our writers, our moving picture specialists with the inspiration of heaven, should tomorrow be able to produce a masterpiece which would live forever. Our own talent, obsessed with the dynamism from a cause, could put into a story life and heartbeats and emotions and love and pathos, drama, suffering, love, fear, courage, and the great leader, the mighty modern Moses, who led a people farther than from Egypt to Jericho, who knew miracles as great as the stream from the rock of Horeb, manna in the desert, rain when needed, battles won against great odds, and the great miracle prophet, founder of this university would never die. Take a Nicodemus and put Joseph Smith, Smith's spirit in him, and what do you have? Take a Da Vinci or a Michelangelo or a Shakespeare and give him a total knowledge of the plan of salvation of God and personal revelation and cleanse him. and Then take a look at the statues he will, statues he will carve and the murals he will paint and the masterpieces he will produce. Take a handle with a purposeful effort, his superb talent, his earnest desire to properly depict the story and give him inward vision of the whole true story and revelation and what a master you will have. What a great university that Brigham Young is, a much greater one it can be. One of the rich rewards coming from doing great things is the capacity to do still greater things. The architect, Daniel H. Burnham, said, Make no little plans. They have no magic there to stir men's blood. And probably themselves will not be realized. Make big plans. Aim high and hope and work, remembering that a noble logical diagram once recorded will never die. But long after we're gone, will be a living thing asserting itself with ever-growing insistency. Remember that our sons and grandsons are going to do things that would stagger us. The BYU must keep itself seaworthy. It must take out all old planks as they decay and put in new and stronger timber in their place. It must sail on and on and on. And now may we suggest to you as did the commanding officer on the sands of Dunkirk, when 300,000 troops were hemmed in by enemy tanks and they had to be gotten off the beach. Hundreds of men with motorboats and dinghies rushed to help. There were no charts, no time for pep talks nor pampering. They were told, quote, Now off you go and good luck. Steer for the sound of the guns. No time for loitering. We must be engaged with it. May God bless this great university and you and us and its impressive student body. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Envisioning BYU podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches and classic speeches, as well as BYU Speeches compilations on marriage and love, overcoming adversity. Joseph Smith, Come follow me, by study and by faith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.